House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Well, Byron Lacey, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, how have you been? How have you been in the last couple of years? Tell us. Well, I've been doing pretty good. Um, I've started a new endeavor about a year ago of uh, doing recordings using my synthesizer, doing music, which was inspired by an alien abduction. But the music is, I guess it falls into electronic dance music, trap music. Um, so anyway, I've put out five albums, or I'm getting ready to put out the fifth one, and I'm really happy about that. Oh, sounds good. Um, so maybe maybe for for the um, the listeners, because it's been a couple of years, some will recognize you, some won't. So let's kind of review um, your your kind of your history uh, with abductions and aliens and UFOs and all that. Kind of kind of explain. Um, you don't have to go total detail, but maybe kind of go over some of the events that have happened to you in the past, and that'll bring people up to speed on, on who you are and kind of what you've been through in the last while. Okay. Uh, in 1955, that was the year that I first saw aliens, and I was five years old. However, I didn't know what they were. They appeared in my room one night. Three greys appeared in my room. My mother, she came in. They weren't there. It happened three times in a row, and on the third night, she told me not to call her back into the room. She said that they're not going to be here when I get here, and you just need to learn to deal with them yourself. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, I thought, thanks, Mom. And she left the room and I turned around and they were back. They had disappeared each time right before she walked into the room. Well, this time they were back and there was a one extra and he was like seven feet tall, looked like Captain Hook. He danced around the room and the room got bigger while it was all going on. I felt like it was tied down. And just about the time I was really going to get ready to panic because at five years old, I had never heard of aliens. I didn't know what these were at all, period. I just didn't know. And um, before I panicked, though, everything was back to normal and they were gone. And from then on, the next night I got into bed, Mom left the room, and I pulled a blanket over my head because <laughs> I figured if they came, I just didn't want to see them. And then years passed, and... Really strange things happened in my life all the time. Uh, my wife was saved several different times. Um, the, the first big save, well, actually the first save may have been in 1952 because I had cancer. Uh, they found out in 52 I had cancer. I was two years old, and it was a sarcoma. The doctor told my parents to go make another baby so it wouldn't be such a shock when I died because nobody had lived from sarcoma, but I did. And uh, it could have been because of them, because the, the cancer grew out into my bladder 
instead of back and spreading throughout my whole body, which is what it does. It goes systemic really rapidly. So I probably should, I've been sick for a year and I probably, well, the doctor thought it was a miracle that I wasn't already dead. But anyway, I fooled and I lived and I think there was a hand in that. In 1961, they kept me from uh, being, well, I was hit by a car. I rolled in front of the car and my body straightened out and I flew through a barbed wire fence and the only injury I got is a one-inch scar on my arm. Now, the thing about a barbed wire fence is, too, the, the wires were about a foot apart and my body went right through there. So, there have been other times my life has been saved. In fact, they've saved my life nine times in all as of... Um, the end of last year, I think it was November, and which when I talk about it, it was a very dramatic experience. Other things were happening. People said, oh, God must really like you, or angels are looking at you, or your guardian spirits or guardian angels are looking after you, and you must have something really special to do, and all this kind of stuff. Every time my life was uh, in jeopardy and was saved, so then in 2009, uh, a portal opened up in the sky above the highway I was on where I was parked at a stoplight in front of Walmart, not something I had seen every day. And it looked like the, the portal from the Kurt Russell movie that had a portal in it. I can't remember the name of it right now. But anyway... A friend of mine told me I was an abductee after this happened one week later on the exact same day and probably at the same time. Nobody else saw it but me. I could tell from the other cars. Well, he told me he thought I was an abductee, and I told him I thought he was crazy. And he gave me some web addresses to go look at, and I went and looked at them after about a week because it kept pestering me to look at them. And I was amazed. They were like... You, most of these sites, or a lot of them, have 90-something questions. And if you answer 80% or 90%, you might be an abductee, and you might want to look into it further. Well, I got all of them except the ones that pertain specifically to women only. And maybe maybe one or two more, but I had 99% yes. Mm. Then... Um, that made me feel really weird and I thought maybe I was going nuts and as I thought about the whole thing I decided that if these guys were abducting me and leaving marks which they had all my life there have been bruises up here punctures up here on my body when I wake up in the morning in fact my first wife said that she had never known anybody that could hurt themselves like I could when they were asleep so anyway, <clears throat> in 2009, I discovered I was in Duckie, and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to verify where it happened, at least for myself. So, like I said, I decided that a relationship should be reciprocal. So if they're taking something from me, 
they should give something to me. And that's something that I wanted was information. So there's an electric line that runs through the woods that on my backyard. And I paced back and forth under there all day. And I determined that I was going to do this every day for the rest of my life. That's what it took. I started thinking at them because I know they're extremely psychic and they could read my thoughts. And I also knew I probably had an implant. So I started thinking and I ended up refining it to, I want to know what you were doing to me. And I said that I did it for six hours the first day. I did it for seven hours the second day. And then I did it for about five hours. And because I thought maybe they'll just get sick of me thinking at them. Um, that night, I played at, I played country music at a nearby restaurant, and I got home at midnight, and I was very tired. I wanted to go to sleep, and I couldn't. My mind was just racing, racing. So anyway, I put on a meditation CD, and boom, I wasn't in my room anymore. I was in a different room. Actually, I was in a hammock that was hung from side to side instead of ends to ends. And you couldn't see outside of it except at the two ends. I pulled myself out of there, landed on the floor and looked around. There were two more hammocks in that room of the same nature. And mine had blankets in it. And one of the blankets was an old child's blanket. So um, then from I heard your, footsteps. From your childhood? No, it wasn't. It wasn't my blanket. Okay. Um, all of a sudden, I heard footsteps. And I, well, first, I get really excited because I think, I am on an alien ship. They did it. They've told me what they're doing. And then I heard footsteps, and I go, uh, I don't think I'm ready to meet aliens. Well, the next minute, I was in a... A different room, and it, everything faded to black, just like a movie, and then popped back up, and I was in this other room. So uh, they had not let me see the transportation between rooms, and this room had a table in it, and there were three grays, the same ones I'd seen in 1955. Uh, they were at the foot of the bed or the table, and there was this huge praying mantis seven feet tall, wearing a robe, and he said, I, I actually started to get freaked out for over no reason except that everything was so weird, and especially him. I had never heard of him or seen him except he was probably the Captain Hook in 1955 because they were the same shape. Anyway, I'm getting ready to flip out, and he thinks at me, do not be afraid. Now, at, at this moment, I'm in my bed looking at me in and being me in the room. I was in two places at once somehow. Uh, my friend Daryl Sims, the investigator who first investigated my case, he told me that they can, they can do that. They can make you see through their eyes. They can do all kinds of things, and they can even see an x-ray. Well... The next minute, after he said, don't be afraid, my, I just calmed down. And it wasn't his words. He'd actually controlled my nervous system. 
then the the picture pans in where I could just barely see. Oh, I, I couldn't see the grays. I couldn't see him. I could see me from the neck down to about the knees. And he turned to X-ray, and they performed an anal probe. And uh, then I woke up, although I hadn't been asleep. Everything just disappeared, and I felt really, I felt really fantastic. And I was almost elated because I had been abducted. And um, then I rolled over and went to sleep. Now, that's actually unusual for me because I never just go to sleep. It takes an hour, sometimes two. Um, used to, it would be all night. But anyway, I went to sleep. I woke up in the morning, and uh, before I went to sleep, I drew a picture of the mantis guy. So anyway, in the morning, I woke up, and I'm laying there, and I feel really good. And then I went, holy, I was in an alien ship last night. And then I started crying. And I, and I wasn't upset or sad, but I was crying spontaneously and... Uh, you know, I didn't even know why I was crying, but I cried for about 30 minutes, and then it went away. Um, I took the picture of the the guy to my friend's house that told me I was abducted, and I said, I told him what happened, and he sits there and listens, and I said, and, and I've got this picture, and this probably proves that this was all just a dream that my brain made up, because I still wanted out of the situation at that point. Well, he turns around and types in something on his computer, and he brings up a drawing that's almost identical to my drawing that was done by an older child who had been abducted, and he told me then that it was a mantis. So I had a few conversations with them several different times, especially right at first. And um, that pretty much verified to me that I was an abductee. So, so let, let me inter interject here. Uh, you've you've said a lot, and, and I, as you were talking, so many questions kept popping up. Um, let's rewind just a little bit. Okay. You were you were wondering what was going on with you throughout your life because you were having these peculiar experiences. That, that you attributed to alien contact. So whenever you decided that you wanted to confront these beings, you sat under a high-tension wire at, or, or, or paste. Yes, that's the perfect word. Uh, okay, so what what were your hopes in doing that? Why, I mean, if you were going to, to broadcast to them or think at them, as you say, why not just do that? What were you hoping that this high tension wires would do? Actually, I didn't even think about the wires as doing anything. It's just a long, two acre long path through there where everything's cleared and I could walk and I would also be where nobody would hear me talking. Ah, because I got so it's I just more of a loud to them. Yes. So when you when you were on the ship, I, I'm I'm trying to imagine a, a hammock strung up. There were two other hammocks. Were those occupied by other people? 
I was going to check, but I heard the footsteps, and I didn't get the chance to if I remember right. It's in, uh, I've got it written down. I don't think there was anybody else in the room, though. Actually, it was just me. Okay, and and then you you met the mantis, who we're assuming is the the leader, or or maybe the the ship's captain, or a person of authority. And and you said that perhaps he was the Captain Hook from back when you were five. So was he choosing when you were five? Was he choosing an image that you were familiar with that you wouldn't find as as frightening as a seven foot mantis in your bedroom? <laughs> Captain Hook was in, in Peter Pan, the whole Peter Pan book, and I had a little picture book of it, and I think we'd seen the movie because it was made a couple of years before then, and uh, already been on Disneyland. Um, I love Captain Hook. I love pirates. Okay, that that you know that makes sense because as you yeah. were telling it, I was like, why would you have Captain Hook dancing around in your room? <laughs> So they, throughout your story, though, you, you weren't sure what was going on, and then you met this person who told you, well, you're probably an abductee. Were you missing time, or the, what, what happened to you that you went to him and thought that, and perhaps he suggested to you that you were an abductee? Okay. He researched... Um, all kinds of stuff. You researched abductions, UFOs, um, reptilians, all kinds of conspiracies. And, and he had done that for a long time before there were even, before there were even computers. Most of his research had been in books at first. And I had told him over uh, 10 years, probably, all of my experiences that I did not know were alien because I didn't know any of them were alien. So he knew everything that had happened to me and he'd been accumulating this information like a researcher. And then when I brought this last thing in, the um, the portal, that was, um, it looked like the movie Stargate. It looked like the portal in Stargate except it didn't have a metal frame around it and it was only about six feet across and six feet up and down. Anyway, after I told him that, that at first he didn't say anything. In fact, I asked him what he thought, and that's when he said, do you really want to know? And I said, yes. And he said, I think you're an abductee. And it was because of all the information I had given him. Byron, in, in terms of um, since we last spoke, you mentioned the, the synthesizer and the albums. Tell me a little bit more about that, if that's okay. I'm sorry, what was that then? You, you just mentioned when we were off air, you were saying about all the things you've done and um, since we last spoke, and you're using your keyboard, your synthesizer now, to record. Right. So can you tell I'm us a little bit more about that? Um... Um, okay, I use synthesizers and record on my computer and make songs, but it was, a, uh, I'm not sure of the day, it was several years ago, I was meditating, and um, I listened to this CD, it, it was very random sounds and stuff, so you can't actually memorize it, but after listening to it for about three years, 
I knew when something started playing that wasn't on it that something odd was happening. And this music played that was, it was like random music that we do here on Earth, only um, there was some kind of structure to it. It was really beautiful, and you could listen to it. I, I listened to it. It was beautiful, and I thought, oh, I'm going to do this kind of music. Then at one point, and it turned off. It was gone. And I actually turned the CD back on and listened to it through a part where I knew that sound had been, and it wasn't there. And they made me hear different things about three different times. So anyway, I um, I I had done in the eighties. I had done some random music, playing on the piano and recording it, but had never done anything with it. And um, in fact, everything of all of that's gone. But um, I saw an ad for a synthesizer on the internet, and I went, "Wow." this would do what the music that I heard would do. And then I let it drop, and I heard a trap song on TV for one of the football games, and once again it was Synthesizer, and I, I really liked it. So that's when I bought my Synthesizer and started working on the songs. And, and this is about music that is the same as you've heard whilst being abducted. Influenced or it influenced me and it excited me and it made me, you know, it's like you might look at a Gauguin painting and it would make you want to paint, but you wouldn't paint like Gauguin. Exactly. So you might be influenced. Yes, yeah. Okay, and in terms of um, the abduction, since we, are they they still quite steady? Because I know that when we when we interviewed you last time, you were saying that you know you identify after you've been abducted. You know because obviously the time, but also because you, you're bruised. And you sent me on email some pictures of recent bruising. Yes, um, it, it's funny. Last week I was trying to go work on my house and I just felt odd, and I um, everything that could go wrong short of hurting myself, went wrong. Had to be done twice. Oh, you know, it was like a day, and I finally went, I'm just going to quit for the day and try tomorrow, which worked out good. But um, I got home, and I went, why do I feel so bad? And then I was thinking, I realized that because it's been, it's been really cold here for Texas, it got down to 11 degrees not long ago during the night. And that's unusual, but because it's so cold and there's no heat in my bedroom, I had been getting dressed uh, in bed under the covers, and I hadn't even looked. So I, I went in, I was going to take a shower, and I looked around, and sure enough, I found a bruise on my bicep, a round quarter-shaped bruise like all the others that they do. Then I knew, but I didn't feel so great. So, yes, the abductions had been going on and in uh, in November or oh, go ahead. No, no, carry on, Byron, please. In November I hadn't noticed any activity for them for two or three months. And I actually felt abandoned. 
And from other inductees I've talked to, they experience the same kind of thing sometimes. People will go, I think they're just gone. Then, of course, they're not gone. And it can also mean that they're doing things that don't leave marks. So, but I was beginning to think they were gone. And I was coming home from uh, a restaurant in town. It was 6 o'clock, and it was very dark because the clouds were covering the moon. I was on a highway that the speed limit is 75 miles an hour. And I was getting ready, I was getting ready to pass this truck, but he pulled into the lane and put on his blinkers first and passed the car in front of him, which I let him do. And then I decided to pass him. And I got halfway down his truck, and I saw out of my peripheral vision that he was pulling into my lane. So I swerved into the turn lane, and then I saw he was still coming. He was pulling into the turn lane. And at that point, we reached the top of a small hill, both of us, and I look ahead, and I'm going, what, what is that? Because it, I saw this bar going across the highway. Uh, I mean, a, like a metal bar. And then I go, oh, crap, it's a truck. And there was a 18-wheeler flatbed blocking all four lanes in the turn lane. And I'm about 45 feet from it. And I'm going now because I see him. when I see him pulling into the turn lane, I think if I stop or if I slow down, the back of his truck's going to hit me. So I hit the gas, and I'm going like 77 miles an hour, and I see that I'm 45 feet from a truck. And at that point, apparently, he saw it too, because he quit coming into my lane, and I saw his stoplights come on, and I slammed on my brake. And I mean, I slammed it on. But with the anti-lock brakes, it kept going on and off, on and off, on and off which is good, I, it might have flipped my truck. So I'm slowing down, I'm slowing down. He smashes into the truck. I'm 20 feet from it. I'm going, and I looked down at my speedometer. It's really weird, too. I wasn't excited or upset. I didn't care that I was probably going to die. I was fine with all of that. Um but I had all this time. I mean, it seemed like an infinite amount of time, and we're only talking about three or four or five seconds. I um, I slam on the brake. He crashes into the truck. Part of his fender shoots across in front of my car. The boards come off of the truck and fly across in front of my car. I don't know why they didn't come towards me. I... And I look at the speedometer, and I'm 20 feet from the truck, and I'm going 60 miles an hour. And I said, All right, this is just not slowing down enough. And and then I go, are you guys actually going to let me die this time? And the car slowed down to zero in about five feet. I stopped five feet from the truck. So in 15 feet, the car went from 60 to zero. And um, to go from 75 to zero takes 315 feet. So you've come to see them as a type of guardian or a type of friend then? Yes, both. 
there there are also no spiritual teachers, and um, a lot of people who are abducted or contacted, whatever you want to call it, I think of myself more as a contactee now. But a lot of people, they're their spiritual teachers, and there have been lots of people that have been saved by them. And that just, it always, I always go, you know, why are they saving my life? I mean, if they're just getting something from me, they can probably get it from anybody. Is this thing that they're getting, am I a good source? Surely, uh, to... You know, a, 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 a good source of, of what, though? Yeah, that would be the question. Well, I got an answer to that in 20, it was either 2015 or 2016, early 2015. Now, any dates I give, if they're different from the dates in my book, the dates in the book are correct. Uh, so, anyway, in 2015, I had I had a reading from Carol Clark, who uh, is in London or in England, uh, and she's a psychic, and she had read for another writer whose name I can't remember right now. He did a lot of conspiracy theories, David Eichmann, and that's where I got her address. Was her email was out of his book, and I decided to give her a try. Well, she I'd actually had a, a reading a year before this event happened. So it was probably early in 2015 that I got the reading, and she told me lots of things. And the last thing she said, she said, ah, you'll probably think this is silly, but you're an alien. Your soul is an alien soul in a human body. And I thought, huh. so, and that was about I thought about it. As the year progressed, Everything she told me had happened. She had been like, I would say, 99 to 100% accurate, except, so I was left at, because for some reason I'd been analyzing what she told me and that if she was extremely accurate, something else had just happened. It wasn't big, but it was something else that made me think about it. And then I went, well, if all of this has happened, why would that one thing be incorrect. So I started meditating. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I started meditating and trying to either feel or to accept that I was an alien, an alien soul. And I went over the fact that I've never felt a part, uh, not even of this world, uh, I've never felt a part of my family. Just many things I thought about. I thought about what if they look weird? What if I looked weird when I was mailing? I'm going, well, if, if I did, it wouldn't matter to me because it'd be normal. So I, I suddenly I accepted it emotionally and intellectually. And at that instant, it felt like two fingers shoved into my head. Didn't hurt though. Shoved into my skull at the very back where it joins the spinal column. And it grabbed me, the, the me that's not the physical body. It grabbed my soul. It grabbed it and it started pulling me out. And, um, my ego is going, I want to go. 
I want to go too. And I said, and this is the first time I've ever been that separated from it at that time. I said, uh, no, I don't think you're going to get to go. It's not of me. And then I was in this immense, infinite space of blackness where you could see. Um, so it's like a headlight. There was no light. I can't even explain that. And in front of me was this wall of, um, of a geometric pattern made out of light, the outlines. Like it was made out of white neon lights. And in front of it were these three beings that looked like they would probably be seven or eight feet tall if they were standing up. But they were in chairs. Once again, everything made out of these lines of light. And I myself was a steer. And uh, one of them, well, first off, I heard, and it wasn't coming from them, I don't think, the Council of Three. Then one of them thought at me. He spoke with me telepathically, and he said, we've been waiting for you to realize this. We're very proud of you. Then at that point, a bunch of information just started pouring into my head so fast, I couldn't even catch up with it or anything. And uh, then... I started receding from the thing, just like I had come in. I started going backwards the same way, and I saw this cookie-cutter-shaped outline of me. It looked like me made out of um, fog or plasma. Mm -hmm. And right before I went in my body, it joined with me, and we plopped into my body. And what I've been told by some psychics and then what I've also realized from the information they gave me that was that they gave me part of my higher self that had been left there because that's where I'm from, from that dimension. It's it's just a different dimension and uh, there's not all that much physical about it, but when we come here, we materialize physically. Now, that's not what happened to me. But, uh, well, it may have at other times. Like, it's sort of like the effort plane, in my opinion, and they can create whatever they need just through thought. And if they create it through where they are and move it here, it automatically becomes physical. But, yes, uh, material. From a spiritual right. or energy to a material plane. Right. So, we're, we're starting to run a little bit short on time, and, and we still have so many questions. Um, but, <clears throat> but Byron, I, I would be re remiss to the listeners if I didn't ask this question, and I don't mean it to sound disrespectful, but a lot of people that would have an experiences or experiences such as yours would find them rather traumatic, yet you're saying that in... In recent years, you've found it more enjoyable to, to the fact that where you've become friends and, and spiritual guides with them. Have you, throughout, from your childhood until this point, have you been to any other type of a counselor other than psychic or mediums, or have you experienced any clinical counseling? And, and yes. what was their opinion of all of this? 
he <laughs> thought it was really strange. And um, he was a hypnotherapist, but we weren't doing anything about aliens because I didn't know about them at all. Uh, I ended up with hypoglossemia in 1985, and he, uh, or 84, it lasted a year, and hypoglossemia is a, a very bad condition to be in when your blood sugar falls, especially if you don't know that's what it is. And three different times I thought about committing suicide just because I, it was like I would pick up a gun and lay it on my chest and go, do I really want to go through with this today? Do I really want to be alive and waste my time having to be asleep or in bed with a pillow over my head even though I didn't sleep all day long? And... I thought, well, I'll call Tom and see if I can get in. Well, I called him, and he said, wow, uh, sure, come on. I just had a cancellation. That that happened in two weeks. That happened three times. And the third time, I'm in his office, and he said, he hypnotized me to hang on to life like I didn't have cancer. And he said, you know, I never, ever have cancellations, ever. And the last three times you have needed me, I've had a cancellation right before you called. He said, it's like something or somebody is watching out for you. So anyway, we discovered I had hypoglycemia. I changed my diet. I I was vegetarian at that point. The doctor said, you can't be a vegetarian and you'll die. If you want to die, go ahead. So I started eating meat. And I got better really fast. It was amazing. I was looking at this painting on my wall. It was a white red that I had done. And while I'm saying that, you know, the red just gets darker and darker and brighter. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know my eyes didn't wash out like that. But hypoglycemia is better, low blood sugar. So anyway, when he was telling me that I didn't need him anymore, which I was going, wow. Because I didn't want to let go of a security blanket. Now, he said, you don't need me anymore. And he said, uh, he wished he had known I had hypoglycemia, or he wished he realized that he had figured it out because his sister was doing research on the mental effects of hypoglycemia. He said, you're probably not going to be as, as happy as most people because you're too realistic. He said, or because you're realistic and you don't lie to yourself. Most people lie to themselves to make themselves happy. But otherwise, you're perfectly sane. You do think a little bit differently from other people. He said, like some people say, when you turn up the thermostat, you're, you're, I can't remember. (laughs) When I turn up the thermostat, it might make it colder or it might make it hotter, but uh, apparently if you turn it down, it makes it colder whatever. So yeah, anyway, yeah, we, we get the gist. And he said, I have an extremely high IQ. He'd given me IQ tests. And he said, but you're fine. So here's, here's another theory. That all of these, all of these experiences happen throughout your life. And every time that something has happened, you've gone to somebody who has told you that you're an abductee. What's the what's what's the chances that all of these experiences are happening to you, but you're looking for a a cause for them? Why is this happening to me? 
and you created these abductions. Well, the things that happened to me are documented as having happened to other people, too, similar. Mm -hmm. And at first, like I said, before 2009, I thought it was guardian angels or spirit guides. I was very involved in um, New Age thought, some, or Carlos Castaneda. So for a while, I thought that these were my spirit guides in the way that Carlos Castaneda talks about them. But I, why why can't they be one and the same? Well, yes, they can. It's the terminology. In fact, the Indians have been involved with. Uh, I'm pretty sure from what I've read and everything, Indians have been involved with aliens for a long time. And knew they were here, especially the shamans. Mm-hmm. That may, maybe we're misinterpreting what what these extraterrestrial beings are, and and, and I'm a I'm a believer in ancient aliens. I'm a firm believer in, in ancient aliens, but it's it's almost as if why why are these things happening to you? What why you know what is their end game with you? And, uh, again, I I don't want to forget to ask this. Have you ever looked for the implant or taken x-rays or or have found it? And and what is its purpose? Uh, I have three scoop marks on my leg. Daryl Sims has told me that they wrap implants in those and stick them in your body to keep it from being rejected. I had a cranial x-ray done. And it did, nothing showed up, but um, they have biological implants that won't show up in an X-ray. The doctor did say that I had no arthritis whatsoever, and you're actually healthier skeletally than I am. I'm one of them, and I was sent here. It was a I volunteered. You volunteered. Yes, to come to Earth. My mission was to write a book to help um, other abductees, contactees, um, to help with disclosure by writing my book because it's a little another little puzzle piece if people want to look at it and take it seriously. And to be creative, to raise my consciousness, to help raise the consciousness of the entire planet because... Uh, it's like rats running a maze. When one rat learns to run a very difficult maze, all rats all over the world can suddenly start running it quickly. So if one person raises their consciousness, then that raises the consciousness for everyone, just a drop. And there are a lot of people doing this, not just me. Mm-hmm. So in, in order to raise in order to raise our, our consciousness, what is your contribution? It, well, uh, by doing work on myself. And you see, when when I was born here, I lost pretty much everything that I had where I came from, because where I came from, we're what you would call enlightened. It's just a natural process that you become enlightened. You don't work for it. Here on Earth, we work for it. And from the contact I've had with aliens, they don't have an ego. 
and an ego seems to be what impedes us. Oh, agreed. <laughs> I I agree. And I've been working on learning to think without it. Byron. Uh huh. Your your journey with um and your knowledge about aliens and what they're here for and um how your relationship with them has changed over the years to to an educational one, one that um, you know you describe them as almost like a guide, a mentor almost. Where do you see the relationship going? Where do you think it can shift to? Uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to get to be with them consciously more. Uh huh. And what would that mean? Well, if they take me to the same place they were before, it would be like being really spaced out in heavy meditation, except being totally clear consciously at the same time. So I don't know. It can be any. It can be exciting. It could be anything. They could even take me to a different planet. There's no telling. But I've been trying to have a little bit more contact with them lately, psychically in the morning, and I have one that runs through my body these vibrations just sort of to say, yeah, we're here. And it's like an electric shock, except it doesn't hurt. So the, the consciousness about them being around you is, is very much more in the present now, whereas before, when we spoke even just you know, a year, two years ago, it was very much about an abduction um, experience. But now you're saying you can feel them around you a lot more than, than you ever have done. Yes. And it's funny, too, I've been having uh, memories from when I was pre-verbal. Okay. And that's been sort of exciting, even though they would seem sort of mundane to everybody else. That uh, I actually had a, a, a picture. I was trying to um, I was trying to get a past memory this when this all started, and suddenly it was like a black tunnel. And then a um, my child's putty chair that I was trained on appeared, thing like like it was a, a real object. It was almost like a tunnel from one reality to another. And I noticed that there was a packet of emotional energy with this that was not pleasant. And I messed up and ran from it. I, I left it alone. But um, it still had a strange effect on me that suddenly I could do things, suddenly I could go to sleep easier, I could go to sleep wearing clothes if I wanted to. Uh, It was like my first experience with them, only it wasn't with them at all, but it had opened up, I had opened up something in my subconscious that had been a festering wound since I was whatever age you are when you get potty trained. And it was gone. Well, Byron, I, we're running out of time, and I and I, I just feel like you know, two years has been too long. Well, I'll more. talk with you anytime. Well, we've got so much more that we, we, we can learn from you and your experiences. I'd like to come back and talk with you again. Absolutely. I mean, this has been an incredible story. And we haven't even covered it all. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, we haven't. I think what Byron you, you bring to the table is this kind of really raw, honest account of, of your journey. And whilst there'll be a lot of people that would listen to an interview um, that is slightly different from, from others, so, so the views may be people might feel quite extreme um, about abduction, but people listen to it and they can, they're, they're drawn into your story and there's a credibility to your story um, for those people who may be more sceptical because of how you relay the story and that you're able to, you know, you're honest about it. You know, you have seen different professionals. You have, you know, had people um, almost kind of test that parameter with you of, of, of what you're experiencing. And you get it. You get that people will question things, but your story is credible because of the way you tell it and, 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 and the impact it has on you. Well, thank you. I think they give me they they gave me some kind of abilities to be able to do my job, and that's what that cookie cutter shape partly was. My higher self that I needed that to be able to move forward. I used to be too shy to be able to talk to people like this. Well, I think you're doing incredibly. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure, Byron. Thank you. I've enjoyed it myself. Awesome. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.